Language. I don't know if you've ever thought about how important the language that we use is. Now, I have a piece of paper. It's quite old now. But it says on it that I can speak French. It's a GCSE certificate that gives me a French GCSE. But the reality is that actually I can't speak French. I can say a few sentences in French. I can order a kilo of carrots. I can order a coffee. I can probably ask the way to the cathedral or the train station. But if anyone asks me, how are you feeling? I am totally emotionally incompetent in French. You know, this language of love that you're meant to be able to share your deepest feelings, I just can't do it. I'm incompetent in French. But language is important, isn't it? You think about how we use language. We use it to express how we feel about something, what we think about something. But we also use it in very technical ways. You know, anybody is sort of expert in a particularly complex field where you have language that no one else can understand. Anybody work in those kind of situations? You know, I did a degree in theology. You know, theologians work in that kind of way. We use these words that nobody else understands to try and explain things that actually if you use a different word, everybody could understand. We use language to make things complicated. Well, today we're continuing in our series through the wisdom books of the Old Testament. Now, there's biblical scholars amongst you who will say, well, Lamentations is not a wisdom book. Why on earth are we looking at this? The reason is, is because it doesn't really fit into any other category. And I thought it'd be really good to have a look at this book that is so often overlooked. You know, I've been preaching for 20 years, and I've only ever preached once before on the book of Lamentations. It's a book that we skip over because it's really quite unpleasant and quite difficult when we read it. But it's a book that I think has a lot to teach us. Basically, what it is, is five chapters five poems of grief. The person who wrote it is just outpouring their feelings. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, we'll dive in and we'll read the passage, and then we'll talk a bit more about the context of what this is all about. So chapter 3, verses 13 through to 33. It's on page 782, if you're following it in the church Bible in front of you. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for people to bear the yoke while they are young. Let them sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on them. Let them bury their faces in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let them offer their cheeks to the one who would strike them, and let them be filled with disgrace. For people are not cast off forever by the Lord. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to any human being. Let's just pray again, shall we? Lord, sometimes as we read your word, it can just be 
difficult, it can be confusing, it can seem so alien to perhaps a lot of how we, we think about what our walk with you should be like. And so, Lord, we just pray that as we look to apply this to our lives, that you'll just give us great wisdom, you'll give us the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit will just bring these words to life somehow in our hearts and our lives. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So just a bit of background to this book. Why is this book so bleak? Why is the writer writing five outpourings, poems of grief? Well, just the historical background. We need to understand that if we can make any sense of it, really. And this book is sort of a series of reflections on the terrible events of 586 BC. Now, what happened in 586 BC was that Jerusalem fell. Jerusalem was conquered. And it was a terrible time in Israel's history. You know, if we think Brexit, as Brexit has been called a national catastrophe, it is not a national catastrophe when we look at what's ha- go- was going on here. This was a national catastrophe, and we'll, we'll see that in a moment. The Kingdom of Israel, under David and Solomon, if you go from left to right, had um, taken up quite a big area. That those kings had ruled a significant chunk of the Middle East, and they were big sort of international players in terms of sort of power. When Solomon died... The kingdom of Israel was split into the north and the south. So you've got the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. You can see already it's shrunk. And what you see happen from the death of Solomon is you see a spiritual decline in both nations. You see an economic decline in both nations. You see a military decline. And it continues throughout the years. There are kings, if you read through the book of Kings, you see there are several kings who come and try and get back on track with God. Do you think of Hezekiah, Josiah, who try and put things right again, but the trajectory is downhill. It is a, it is a slow but steady decline. By the time you get to 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel, the blue one at the top, um, that was based around Samaria, that one falls. That one falls to the Assyrians. And so you're left with the kingdom of Judah that exists for another um, 150 years or so. And then by 586, the Temple of Solomon is destroyed, the people are taken, loads of people are taken off into exile, that's the richer people, and the poorer people are left in famine in this land with a country that has been decimated. You you imagine if our nation was just absolutely decimated. And if you read through the Book of Lamentations, the famine is so bad that parents are eating their children. That is how bad this situation is. This is national catastrophe on a level that we cannot even comprehend. But this has been prophesied, if you like, foretold. God has said, Israel, Judah, if you turn your backs on me and repeatedly go against my ways, your nation will be scattered amongst the other nations around about you. Look at this from Deuteronomy 28. You'll be uprooted from the land you are entering, then the Lord will scatter you among the nations. But what has happened was the people of Israel, they listened to the wrong voices. They'd been listening to people who said, actually, everything's going to be fine because the temple's in Jerusalem. God will keep rescuing you. If you look at Lamentations 2, verse 14, it says, the visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin toward of your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. And so the results of what happened was that what God had said would happen, did happen. Even though it was terrible, it still happened. And so we get the scattering of the people of Judah into Babylon 
and then there's sort of famine and the devastation that happens in the land with that. But it's not all bleak. It's not totally bleak, because Jeremiah had already prophesied that this would be time-limited. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Now, 70 years is a long time, isn't it? It's, a, it's really quite a long time. It's a lifetime. Now, if um, Theresa May were to stand up in Parliament tomorrow and say, I've got Brexit sorted. Do not worry. The effects of Brexit will not be felt after 70 years. I'd be like, well, that's not much use, is it? You know, I would be an exceptionally old man in 70 years. I'd be the oldest man alive at the moment. It probably isn't even that much use for my children either, because it's such a long time span we're looking at. But this was the hope that the people of God had. It was a long-term plan, a long-term hope. And we see that God is faithful. As you read through the Bible, you get to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you see the restoration, and you see that the temple was rebuilt, and a number of those people did return home. So these laments, these grief poems, go hand in hand with really with what Jeremiah is saying. And, and the, quite a number of people have said, actually, Jeremiah probably wrote Lamentations, although it doesn't actually say that in the Bible. World War I. We remembered the 100th year anniversary of World War I um, last November. When World War I took place, what happened was that you got people who were the journalists who were on the ground. And they came back and wrote newspaper articles about what was going on. You then had people who, years afterwards, if you like, were the historians who sort of said, this is what we think happened. This is what led to the build-up of war. This is what happened, and these were the results. But then often, it's left to the poets and the musicians to sort of interpret the events emotionally. And I can remember at GCSE English studying Siegfried Sassoon. I don't know if anyone can remember the First World War poets. And they're looking at the music of Holst and Vaughan Williams, who, who sort of put into classical music those expressions of grief and loss at the terrors of war. And it's happened more recently, the events of 9-11, I would imagine most of us in this room can remember where we were when 9-11 took place. If you're of an age where you can still remember that far back. And um, I can remember where I was. I walked into somebody's living room, the TV was on, and the report was there. And I was like, goodness me, that is horrendous. But that was the on-the-ground stuff again. You then had the commentators, those people who would chew it over and say, this is why it happened. These were the reasons. But again, it was the songwriters who offered the emotional response. People like Beyonce, Lily Allen, people like Coldplay all wrote songs in response to what had happened. So if you like, what I think we get in Lamentations, One Kings is the newspaper commentary. That's, this is what happened. Jeremiah is sort of unpacking this is what God's heart is doing here. This is like the commentary on it. And Lamentations is, if you like, the heartfelt emotion, the grief of what is taking place. So what on earth do we do with these rather disquieting grief poems? Life is full of the good and the bad. We don't like it, do we? We'd rather the bad stuff didn't happen. But the experience of life in a broken and fallen world tells us that bad stuff does happen. You know, we live in um, the part, if you like, of God's history where the kingdom of God has come amongst us. You know, Jesus says in Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is in your midst. God's rule and reign has broken out in Christ, but it is not yet fulfilled until Jesus returns. So we live with the glimpses 
of God's rule and reign, but we don't see by any means all of it. That still lies one day ahead. The final victory isn't yet announced. So sin and death and decay and the powers of darkness are all still realities that as human beings we face. Now the context for these laments was different. The context was God's judgment and justice. The destruction of Jerusalem. But the exile, as we found in those um, verses that we read, was not God's heart for his people. God never desired to put his people away from his presence. They just went there. And what that he said would happen, did happen. Verse 17 to 18, just read um, how the writer pours his heart out. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. You know, there is stark reality there, isn't there? There is a brutal honesty that says, actually, everything I'd hoped for has been taken away. We experience a world where suffering still happens. We've sung this morning, you know, no condemnation now I dread. We we do not stand condemned. If we're in Christ, we do not stand condemned for our sin, but we still live in a broken and fallen world where suffering and decay will take place. And I would imagine if I went round the room and asked all of us to give some evidence of some pain or suffering or some bad thing that is happening at the moment, we could all give us give an example to one another. Because this is the reality of living in a world that has rebelled against God. And so I want to ask us a question, really. Are we able to articulate how we really feel with one another? Are we able to do what the rite of lamentations does in being able to pour out our heart when the bad things happen? You know, I'm just about old enough to remember the the change of worship styles that took place, certainly in the churches I was part of in the the 19, sort of very late 1970s into the early 80s. Um, As a little child, I went to Poynton Baptist Church. I'm talking this sort of height child. And I have this memory of being stood on a chair um, singing When the Road is Rough and Steep. Anyone remember when the road is rough and steep? I won't sing it to you. I won't put you through that. Um, but most of the time, what we sung was traditional English hymns. You know, the, the hymns of um, the, the church had sung for probably 200 years or so. And then, when I was about five, my parents got involved in planting a church. And they planted this little Baptist church into an area that had no other churches in it. And changes started to happen. We got guitars in church complete with rainbow guitar straps. You know, that that was the excitement. And we started to sing songs that changed. They were no longer the songs of formality, but they were the songs of exuberance and celebration. So we sung songs like, Come on and celebrate. Jesus, we celebrate your victory. And then we sung lots of songs about magnification, which as a child, I could never, ever get my head around why we were using magnifying glasses when it came to Jesus. (laughs) But whereas the language of the traditional hymns covered all kinds of emotions, a lot of the songs that we were singing were all about celebration. They were all about this language of celebration. And then we started to get songs coming in about marching, about spiritual warfare, and then a whole host of songs that came in about intimacy with Jesus. Now, much of this is great. Much of that is great. You know, I love the fact that we can celebrate all that God has done together. We've done it this morning. I think it's so important that we can emotionally respond to God who has called us into relationship with him. But there is a question mark coming here. Last year, 
a member of our close family had what should have been a very routine procedure. And it went terribly wrong. And it could have been fatal. And as a family, we were suddenly plunged into a situation that we didn't expect. We didn't see it coming. There was no warning. And suddenly, I was stuck for what to say to God. I didn't know what to say. I knew how to pray, but I didn't know how to quite articulate what I was feeling at that time. And you know what I did? I put the mask on and pretended that everything was okay. I just didn't know how to lament or to bring my feelings to God in a real way. And I sometimes wonder, in our language of celebration and our language of thanksgiving, whether we have lost or forgotten the language of lament. Whether we have forgotten something that is a very rich biblical tradition that says it is okay to be real with God and it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. We don't have to put the mask on. And so can I encourage you today, you know, if you're not in a small group, if you're not in a prayer triplet, can I encourage you to get in those places where you can share meaningfully with one another? You know, we don't want to necessarily do that. You know, if I was stood on the door in church and you all asked me how I am, and I pour out a grief lament to each of you, that is not going to be helpful. But if we do it in these kind of small groups where we can say, actually, this is how I really am, I think we do well because we're following actually what the Bible shows us to do. Sorry, there's those verses that we we just read. Another question, with God or without God? One thing that amazes me with these laments is that the writer takes a position which largely says, regardless of what I am experiencing, I will trust God. Those beautiful verses, verse 22 to 23, I don't know if you noticed them when we read them through. Because of the the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Even in the midst of a nation that is decimated, even in the midst of famine that we cannot imagine, even in the midst of all these awful things, still the writer will trust God. Still the writer will have hope. He will give thanks to God because the people aren't consumed. There is still hope of a future. And it seems to me that every disciple of Jesus, every disciple of Jesus has a choice to make. When the bad times come, and in a world that is subject to decay and death until Jesus returns, those will come from time to time. When they come, how do we deal with them? Do we deal with them with God? Or do we turn our backs on God? and go our own way. Job faced exactly that question, didn't he? When all the stuff, he was, you know, he didn't know what the spiritual reality was, it was what was going on behind all the stuff being taken away from him. But when everything was taken away, would he sit in the ground and curse God and die, or would he still have hope? Would he still look to God? This is exactly the same situation here. Our response to that question really matters. Because it impacts how we journey through life. Just think about the love of God for a moment. A consistent theme through the Bible is that the love of God is constant. It's unending. It's never changing. We cannot escape from it. But where is the love of God supremely revealed to us? Just think about this for a moment. The love of God is not supremely demonstrated through our circumstances. 
but through the cross of Jesus Christ. It can be very easy when we're really going through a tough time to forget that. But this morning, you know, I can say with confidence that the love of God is not demonstrated by how much money I have in my bank account. Praise the Lord for that. But nor is the love of God demonstrated through my blood pressure. Nor is the love of God demonstrated through my health or my mental health. His love for me is not removed if I become ill. It's not removed if I become the victim of crime. It's not removed if I go through depression. It's not removed if I go bankrupt or fail in my work. The love of God is constant and is supremely revealed through Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, saving us and pointing us to eternity. God is love and in Christ, his work is complete. God has shown his fullness of everything on the cross. Revelation 21, verse 4. Well-known words. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, for the old order of things has passed away. You know, today we can live with that hope. We can live with that hope. We can look forward and say, like the writer of Lamentations did, that there is hope because of what Jesus has done. As I was... um, prepping this this week, I I suddenly remembered a song that I'd sung years and years ago at a worship leaders conference. And I don't know how long ago it was, but me and Claire weren't married, so that puts it at least 19 years ago. And the song was by somebody called Joe King. No, the parents hadn't thought that one through really, had they? Uh, (laughs) But it was the song that was called When There's Hard Times. I won't read all of it to you or sing it all to you, but it's six verses of it. But here's one of the verses. Oh no, here isn't one of the verses, I haven't put it on there. I'll read it to you. It says, when the future is uncertain, when my heart is heavy burdened, when I'm tired or I'm hurting, Lord, in one thing, I'm determined. And then you get this chorus. I will love you, come what may. I will love you every day. I will love you now and forevermore. And so I just want to ask the question of myself and ask the question of you, will we? When there is uncertainty, when actually our heart needs to respond in lament, when that is the reality of where we are, when we're saying it's okay to not be okay, will we still love God? Or will we turn our back on him? Learning or relearning the language of lament. I'm not sure we're very good at lamenting anymore. I'm not sure, I don't just mean our church, I mean Christians generally. I don't know whether we really have this language, this vocab, to know how to bring stuff to God when actually on one hand we're wanting to trust and yet on the other hand we're being very real. Interestingly, as you look at the Psalms, there are more Psalms that talk about personal lament than there are Psalms that talk about personal thanksgiving or celebration. I'll send a list of those round um, to the small group leaders so you can perhaps look through some of them in your small groups this week. Perhaps I think actually what we need is some new vocab to allow us to be real with God when we're in those places of lament. So this is a bit of an odd challenge this morning. I don't think I've ever challenged anybody in this way before. But if you're creative today, if you are a, a poet, a writer, a painter, you make banners, whatever it is. You're like me, you're doubling songwriting from time to time. 
Can I encourage you to give thought to this language of lament? How can you encourage us as a body of people to be able to deal well with these kind of situations and circumstances? Such an amazing thing to have the vocab when you need it. Have that right language when actually we need it. Finally, rooting our lives into the cross of Jesus Christ. God is good. God is kind. God is our good Father who loves to lavish good things on his children. And we bless God, don't we, when God answers prayer. We bless God. We praise him when good things in our life happen. Verse 25 of the passage we read, it says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. You know, what a statement to be able to make against the backdrop of what had happened. To actually be able to have that optimism, to actually see that this heartache will go to hope eventually. But what do we say about the good things as well? You know, we were booking a holiday the other day. It's January. We often book holidays in January. I don't know if you do that as well, because it's, it's miserable. And it's a bit like, ugh, and you think, we need something to look forward to. So you go and book a holiday. And we, we rung up, or Claire rung up, to book this holiday. We'd seen it online, um, but just a good tip. Sorry, I don't normally do sort of good tips from the front. If you ring up and speak to somebody, even if you're going to book online, they'll often give you an extra discount, so do ring up. Um, so so Claire, Claire was on the phone to this particular um, travel agent. And um, we ended up booking a holiday that we thought was okay. Two days later, Claire looks on YouTube at this clip. And we're looking at this place thinking, that doesn't look like us. That doesn't look like the kind of holiday we would enjoy at all. And so we were sort of sat there getting a bit stressed and, you know, well, that's not going to cheer us up, is it? Um, And so what happened was we thought, well, we need to ring them back. We'd gone past the 24-hour period where you can just cancel and get all your money back. So it was entirely at the discretion of the travel agents. So we prayed about it. We prayed, God, will you just help us? We know it's nothing, it's not a biggie, this sort of thing. But we, we prayed about it. So Claire rings them back. Their systems are down. Their systems are down for 48 hours. By the time they eventually ring us back and say, we can do something, they say, we're so sorry that our systems are down and that we've kept you in this position, that we would normally charge a fee to swap your holiday over, but we're going to waiver it this time. So you can just transfer your money across to a new holiday. How do I respond to that? Well, I respond to that by saying, isn't God good? God blesses us sometimes, totally unexpectedly and undeservedly. We pray and we see just a little glimpse of the goodness of the Father heart of God. Just a tiny glimpse. But you know, here's the thing. If I root my experience of God and my view of God just in those experiences, when things get tough, it will not be enough. We can praise God for that, yet at the same time say, that will never be enough to hold me through the storm. It will never be enough. There are these verses in Habakkuk where it says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Where do we need to root our lives? In the cross of Jesus Christ. Where is the love of God supremely demonstrated to us? in the cross of Jesus Christ. Where is our future hope? In the eternity that we will be with Jesus forever and ever. Will we walk through our lives 
Will we say, actually, I'm not okay at the moment, but yet I have hope? Will we say, actually, even though things might not be the best, I still have this future certainty. And because of that, I will hope in the God who is my saviour. I pray that for each of us this morning that will be our reality.